The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, so today we continue our series in 1 Peter. So if you want to turn there, that'd be great just to get ready. We're looking at the last part of the chapter. Before we do that, I just would like to take us, uh, for us to take some time to pray um, as we consider uh, those who lost loved ones, those who continue to struggle, obviously, for so long now, so many years ago, but for today being that memorial time, uh, just pray, we just want to pray and, and maybe just ask God uh, to intercede on behalf of those who continue to struggle. I know we had uh, just a close friend who was uh, a rookie on the on the uh, fire department in New York City, a probie, uh, right when that happened. And so I know that just for him and many others, um, this is a tough day um, as they continue to deal with the loss, uh, whether it's uh, those that were in the buildings, those that responded, uh, those who responded uh, as soldiers after that. There's so many different aspects of that. So I just want to take a minute to pray and allow us to intercede on behalf of those uh, in need right now. God, we come before you um, thankful for those who gave their lives, thankful for those who um, stepped up when everyone else was running away. Lord, for those who did perish in this horrible tragedy, Lord, for their families, Lord, that you'll bring comfort and strength as it's not something that just goes away. Lord, I just pray that you'll give them peace, that they'll know the peace that's found in you. And I just pray that we will be an encouragement to anyone we may know that has been through this, Lord, that we can come before you on their behalf. In your name we pray, amen. So last week, we looked at uh, living a holy life. Uh, Dave led us in the kind of middle part of this chapter, uh, talking about be holy for I am holy, and talking about being uh, resident aliens and strangers in this land. And so now we get into uh, the last part of this first chapter, and we're talking about a different kind of hope. Uh, today. And so we're going to be looking at uh, five different aspects of a proper understanding of a different kind of hope today. So let's look at 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 17. If you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So here we are today looking at this powerful passage, a lot of verses in there that are, that are just hit you right where you are. And so today we're going to look at first a proper understanding of the Father 
gives us a different kind of hope. In verse 17, we see this father referenced and the fact that our father can be engaged in conversation. It's important for us to note and to realize that many religions out there don't have a personal representation of a father to a son or to a daughter. And so in this passage, we see this at the beginning, since you call on a father, the idea is that there is an understood ongoing dialogue happening that God doesn't stand distant and far away from us, but he wants us to approach him. And he wants us to approach him as his children, to talk, to discuss, to cry out, to even sometimes complain, as we see in the book of Psalms, in a way for understanding who the Father is. And so this role of relationship is close and tight. Our father is also the only truly impartial judge. It says here he judges impartially. Now, when I see the word judge, I see something different, but the Greek word for impartial here used is a positive sense, not a negative. It's not meant to produce a scary type of environment, but instead it's a positivity that he is impartial. He doesn't judge us as we deserve. This reminds me in my junior high brain hanging out with junior high kids for so long of a movie that came out a while ago, but it's an animated movie and it's this person, I think you can see her on the screen, a representative creature. Uh, This is from Monsters Incorporated and back then there was a woman, woman, no, creature, uh, representing, her name was Ross and she was the one who's the supervisor. She watched over these monsters as they got all the screams in their can and she had a, a powerful saying that's sticks in my brain. I don't know if it sticks in yours. When she was talking to Mike Wazowski, what did she say? Anybody get it? Always watching. Always watching. And some of you are like, hey, I remember that from when I was a kid. Yeah. So some of you are like, I have no idea what this movie is. But The reality is she was always watching. She was always overseeing. Not in a positive sense like, yeah, you're doing a good job. No, I'm always watching because you're going to screw up and I'm going to catch you. That's the opposite of what we see in our father here. It's reverence, it's respect for this judge, but he is an impartial judge. Kenneth West puts it this way, outward appearance, wealth, culture, social position, family, background, education, beauty, intellect, all the things that more or less sway the opinions of man do not count with God when it comes to appraising a person's character of worthiness. Thank God he is an impartial judge. So our father, he understands our position as foreigners as well. He sees that we're living in exile, as Dave pointed out last week, where he's talking about coming to this culture of Texas and just seeing something different than he grew up in in Northern Virginia. And I can echo that growing up in Philadelphia. Coming here, same thing, resident alien. And I've been here for 16 years in this town and sometimes I feel, still feel like a stranger as he referenced the world of mums and other things last week. But a person, he walks in reverent fear. It's not walking on eggshells, but walking in complete trust of this impartial judge, again, that doesn't judge us as we deserve, but he judges us based on the blood of his son. So not only does a proper understanding of our father bring a different kind of hope, but also a proper understanding of our salvation if you look at verse 18 and 19. See, he says our salvation, it can't be purchased. 
It's not with silver or gold, so he identifies some material things. It can't be purchased with money or even our own actions to impress God. And I love this part where he says, you've been ransomed or redeemed from the futile ways or empty way of life. It reminds me of a study we're doing with our junior high students down at the Outback on Sunday mornings and we're, we're approaching, last week we approached the story of Solomon and how Solomon had this great opportunity to ask for whatever he wanted, anything he wanted, he could ask for. And what does Solomon ask for? Silver, gold, no, look at, listen to 1 uh, Kings 3.9. It says, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? He saw this great challenge ahead of him, and he asked for wisdom when he was presented a request for anything. I'd like to say I would ask for that, but it would be difficult. So we get obsessed sometimes with things and just as a side note here, we can, we can see that money, things, entertainment, sports, they're not evil in and of themselves, but an improper focus and drive for us for, toward it leaves us empty. Not only that, it sets our children on a path toward lifelong empty pursuits. And don't get me wrong, it's cool to, you know, to be able to pass things down to your kid, a love of a sport. My kids like the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm, I, just, I didn't force that on them. My wife says I brainwashed them, but I really didn't. I just watched the games. I don't paint my walls the Eagles green or anything, but it just happens, right? And so it's not a horrible, evil thing, but the, the improper focus and attention often can lead us astray. I saw this meme recently. I think we got that on the screen. Uh, one, only one more week until I let a professional football team determine my mood for the next four months. You can also, there's another one out there that says uh, only uh, one more week until I let 20-something-year-olds determine my mood as college fans, which some of you are really still reeling from yesterday. Um, I won't highlight that, but some of you are upset. I've moved past a lot of that. I think when I was younger, I got into that a little bit more, and maybe some of you hopefully have moved past a little bit of that, which is not so intense with you. You know, we got Cowboys fans in the room, UTNM, things like that, where it's like, today it's difficult, Right? But hopefully we've moved past it affecting us in such a great and powerful way and we've seen it for what it is. So the question would be in this moment is what are you known by in your family? I asked this a few weeks ago. What are you known by? Are you known by the crazy, like as the crazy sports fan? Is that the primary way your kids or your friends know you? You might want to check the scriptures because hopefully that's not what you're known as. Now, I'm nuts when I'm watching a game, but hopefully that's not how the only way my kids see me. See, our salvation frees us from living an empty life. But our salvation also comes from the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished. I love that word. I don't use it every day. I would love to, but it'd be kind of weird. But he lavished it on us in all wisdom and insight. 
Jesus is contrasted with the temporary blood, the sacrifices in the Old Testament that had to be done over and over and over again because that lamb wasn't perfect. But now we have the eternal blood of Jesus Christ who once and for all paid the price for our sin. In expressing his thoughts in this passage, Chuck Swindoll, he talks about two things God has done for us highlighted here. Number one, he's delivered us from slavery to the world and things in it, which we just talked about. And he's come near to us and made himself known in countless ways, which we can talk about next. So third, a proper understanding of Jesus establishes us in a different kind of hope in verse 20 and 21. We see he he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus was with the Father before the world began. He was there. He didn't just appear in the New Testament in flesh and blood. Jesus was with the Father. And he goes all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve took the fruit and sinned against God and God's telling them of the judgment to come and talking to the serpent and he says to the serpent, he says in Genesis 3.15, a great prophecy that Jesus himself would crush the head of the serpent. That this serpent is automatically facing death and he's facing punishment and he's facing this victory in the face of Jesus. So he was foreknown before the foundation of the earth. Verse 21 shows us that we are only believers through him. Some of us get excited about our faith and sometimes we put too much stock in what we've done in our faith and how we've come to Jesus and how we've found him and things like that. It was our choosing But if you look at the scriptures like this, it says, no, you come to him. We are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It's because of Christ that you have faith. It's because of Christ that you have hope. Our hope, he says here in 21, we place our hope in God because of Jesus. As a people, as one body, as a church, as a community, corporately, we see that our focus should be on the risen Savior. And it goes back even to Israel and how they failed time and time again to recognize who God was. And he's encouraging us to say it's because of Jesus and his blood. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 puts it greatly. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, his resurrection power gives us a unique view on hope. Also, a proper understanding of love launches us into a different kind of hope. We're gonna spend a good chunk of time on this one verse today, verse 22. So it's important for us to understand a little bit of the background. And even in Ephesians, it helps us understand a little bit about what we are being launched into. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 are the two of the most popular verses in scripture. Many of you probably have them memorized for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast, right? And so we often stop there in those two verses and we miss the, the, the next verse that is so crucial in those two verses that goes together. In verse 10, it talks about the fact that we are created 
for good works. Now, good works is just seems like a really bad thing to talk about, right? Because, hey, we're saved by grace, saved through faith. It's not good works. Well, we're saved by grace. And then he says, now we're launched into doing the works that God has prepared for us. And so here we see we're launched into love in a different way. On the surface, verse 22 appears to say uh, we have purified ourselves. It's saying, uh, you know, the wording there is kind of tricky, but if you go back uh, just a few verses that we just talked about, it's not by the imperishable things like our works that we've come to Christ, but it's because of the fact that we've been purified. Because that God is making us pure that we get to launch out for this love. Tim Erickson, a pastor, says this way, that word for indicates the purpose or goal behind their obedience. In their obedience for the Lord, they had this goal in mind of obeying not only for their own benefit, but to build up a mutual love within their Christian community. So this love is not just for us to feel good about ourselves or to make ourselves think more highly of us. It's a communal thing. It's us being launched together to serve one another in love, and we'll see that played out a little bit later. It's interesting how Peter approaches uh, this conversation here in this verse because he had a unique experience with Jesus. After Jesus rose from the dead, we see Peter being met by Jesus on the shore, and Jesus gives him an opportunity to profess his love three times, uh, probably for the same amount of times he denied Jesus, right? And he says he gives him three times to profess his love. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. He gets to say to Jesus. And in those moments, a lot has been said, many sermons about the different kind of loves there. And there's arguments going on because John actually used them interchangeably. So sometimes that maybe is expressed too greatly in that passage. But we see in verse 22, Peter is using these same kinds of love in his verse here encouraging us. He starts out with brotherly love in verse 22, right? Obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So it starts there. And we, of course, in our country have a great example of this, phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia. Such a great representation of brotherly love, especially when Cowboys fans come to town. Uh, But no, we have this representation of phileo, brotherly love, where it's this communal love, this friendship and things like that. He starts there, right? But he says this love, the brotherly love, and then he goes, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So then he gets into agape love. And he uses that word for the second word of love that he uses, which is pure, willful, and sacrificial So the relationship starts in the fact that we have brotherly love. We can talk to each other. Hey, how you doing? Things like that. How's it going? How's the family? Uh, How's school going? Things like that. That's brotherly love. But then here he kind of takes us deeper into something greater. And these words were often used interchangeably in the book of John. But for Peter, it's interesting that he uses this order. So Peter says we should go for it with everything we've got. We should abandon our own evil desires and work hard at loving each other instead. The word translated as earnestly or deeply in this verse, ektenos in Greek, means at full stretch or in an all-out manner with intense strain. 
That's kind of interesting. I thought about different illustrations uh, when it's talking about straining and just stretching. Uh, you got like uh, speed skaters in the Olympics just stretching that foot out to just get over that line. You got different, uh, you know, sports analogies and different ways, you know, um, paint my house right now outside and I'm, instead of being, uh, you know, smart and like getting off the ladder, I'm just stretching to see if I can get that last little spot, right? And so I was thinking about one illustration that came my brain as I was uh, looking at this passage was um, I ran a little bit of track when I was in high school and I wasn't a track star by any stretch of the imagination but I ran a little bit and uh, I was running the 400 and anybody knows the 400 probably is just shaking their head or just having bad memories because it's just a horrible race and so I'm running it and it wasn't back in the, you know it was back in the day back in my day they didn't have those you know sweet tracks with the rubber surface you know it had just rained and it was a little bit it, uh, muddy and wet. And so I'm pushing 400, uh, just trying to catch who's in front of me. Unfortunately, I didn't time it well. And I'm just like pushing and running out of gas. I mean, just gassed around the back stretch. And I'm just attempting to catch these guys. And I'm leaning as far as I can forward to cross that finish line. And I fall face first into a mud puddle. And to finish the story, I didn't even win the race either. So it's nothing about me. I just fell, all muddy, wet, and disappointed. But I'm stretching toward that finish line. I'm just, every ounce of my being was just stretching so far that I fell on my face. And that's kind of how Peter's getting at it here. He's saying this is a, a love that we're launched out to to stretch us. Just as an athletics coach might tell a player, leave it all on the field, Peter tells us to completely exhaust all of our resources in a single-hearted effort to give love to one another. F.B. Meyer states, our love seldom gets beyond temperate, never to boiling point. We have not learned the secret of the heart bubbling over. We are not fervent in our love. We do not weep over our brethren's faults or rejoice in their success as much as our own. So practically, <clears throat> we're going to look here in a few, for a few minutes of how this all-out, no-holds-barred, stretch-till-you're-about-to-snap love plays out in our everyday life. So first of all, we can think about marriage. If we're married today, that relationship that we have is special. But oftentimes it can be a scoreboard approach of who's done what for me? How have this person, how is this person going out of their way to make me feel special? And we, we take it as a scoreboard when in reality we should be doing what Romans 12.10 says, which is uh, outdoing one another and showing love. Maybe in our families, we, we have difficulty, you know, you got these uh, siblings that get on your nerves or a parent that just won't get off your back or, or things that are, you're struggling with. And the reality is we should be wearing ourselves out and showing love. We don't keep records of wrong. We are gracious. We're kind. We're patient. That's what Christ-like love looks like in our family, in our work, being the best employer, being the best employee that looks out for the interests of others, that considers them more important than ourselves, not as a stepping stone to get above them, but actually values people. 
In our small groups, when we, we join a small group and we love it when you guys jump in a small group and jump in with both feet where you get to the point in your small group where you say, nothing's gonna get away apart from like going to a funeral or death in the family. Nothing's getting in the way of this time together. You value that community so much and the opportunity to show love so much that you just say, forget everything else. These are my people. This is who God's given me. I'm pouring my heart, my soul, my love into these people. Our neighborhoods, making meals for people, people that are struggling. We know maybe some of our neighbors have difficulty and we just bring them a meal or invite them into our home. Maybe we let stupid and petty arguments with our neighbors go as the Christ-like loving people we are, right? You know, sometimes their weeds do inch over into our yard. Sometimes there's things that their kids do that we don't like. But how can we show sacrificial love in this area and let things go? Leviticus 19, 17 and 18 says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. How about in our church and how it looks and how we love the body of Christ? See, back in the early church, uh, Christianity was under extreme uh, viewpoints and there were a lot of rumors going on about Christianity and the weird things they were doing. And even Nero took that, uh, that whole concept and blamed Christians for burning half of Rome. And so here we have some writings. I was encouraged in staff meeting. Danny pointed this out this week of a story of Tertullian, an early church leader in Carthage. And he's writing about the faith and about the love that is seen so obvious in God's people. He says, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. See how they love one another, they say, for they themselves are animated by mutual hatred. How they are ready even to die for one another, they say, for they themselves will sooner put to death. What a great example we could be as a church, as a body where people say, oh, those people from Temple Bible Church, man, they love well. They're sacrificial in their love. They don't hold uh, people to a standard that they don't even themselves achieve. They actually give grace, patience, kindness in all different situations. Unfortunately, we're so obsessed with our me time, pampering, rest, vacation, food, sports, luxuries, success, appearances, and technology that often drive us to have no margin for active expressions of love in our lives. See, this example is actually pretty well expressed in my own notes. And these are actually generous, but my margins in my notes are really narrow. I don't know what it is. I could sit down and lay on a couch and let a psychologist analyze me, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the idea that I don't like messing with papers and I get off track because I have ADD and I think too many papers is a mess. But for me, I think it's just stuff. It's just things. And it represents to me what I often do, and even my own family, where we just fill our lives with all kinds of activity and we leave no margin for love and loving others. 
So I say yes to this one more thing that even can appear good. I say yes to one more activity like your kid needs that third sport in the fall. I say one more yes to this or that and in turn what I do is I actually neglect the opportunity and building in to my schedule the ability to have some room that when a neighbor is sick I have room to make them a meal. When I see someone hurting I have room to go sit with them over coffee. And it's interesting that oftentimes we just don't allow for our, ourselves to do that. Now, my wife is amazing in, in a number of different ways, but she helps balance some of my sermons because sometimes I just come at them a certain way and she kind of helps me think of the other way. And last night we were hanging out and she was talking to me about this passage and really helped me see. Now, what I just said to you was very harsh. And growing up how I did, I don't really get that much. I'm kind of insensitive at times. And so her hearing this says, hey, when you're communicating this, just communicate it in a way to help people understand. This isn't meant to put you in a mode to say, oh, one more thing I'm bad at. One more thing I screw up at. I can't do this Christian thing because it just requires too much of me. So I don't want you to feel that way, but I also want you to feel the conviction too. We're not just you know, putting things out there that just tickle your ears, so to speak, to make you feel good about yourselves. I read this passage and I'm convicted and I'm passing on the conviction I feel. But she wanted uh, us to, to hear two things. Number one, this isn't an obligation. Being launched into this kind of love is not an obligation, it's a privilege and actually God says in his word that he is for your joy. And if he calls you to this kind of love where you're so stretched, you feel like you're gonna snap, guess what? He's gonna provide the joy that goes with it. When I'm giving of my time to help others, when I'm sacrificing something I could be doing to engage in love with someone else, I find this unique transcendent joy, not the, the joy that comes from playing basketball or watching a sporting event or whatever it is you do for fun. It's a transcendent joy that can only come from the spirit. The other problem we have sometimes that we notice is that we don't often take time to talk about what's best and how to get there. As a couple, as a single person, a college student, maybe you should take some time and energy and effort to just sit down and think about where do we want to be as a family? Where do I want to be as an individual, as a student? Where do I want to get to? Because I know this kind of love is really good. I know it's a command. I know I should be living it. But where do we build it into our lives? And so me putting things into the calendar physically, well, my wife does that. She has a physical calendar. Mine's on my phone. But the idea of building it in is purposeful and it shows priority. It isn't, oh, if I can squeeze this in, I'll make them a meal. Oh, I got to get the kid to football practice. No, it's building it in. It's making time and energy and effort. And that's how we get there. You make time for what's important to you. Man, I watch parents and I am that parent. I got my kids at five different places in one day just scrambling around. 
We make time for what's important, and this is of ultimate importance. Lastly, a proper understanding of eternity enables us to live a different kind of hope. It's a different kind of hope when we see eternity. Look at verse 23. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. It's a newsflash there. He says it later in the verses, we're all going to die. Surprise, surprise. If Jesus doesn't come back, we will all perish. Sounds depressing if you stay there. But we don't stay there, neither does Peter. Because of Christ's death, the body of Christ, the church is born of eternal seed. We are born again. See, we often have an unhealthy obsession with our bodies, good or bad. And we work out, we do this, we do that to try to improve, and it's great. We should take care of our bodies. But Peter straightens this right out with a direct quote from Isaiah 40. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Lord, word of the Lord remains forever. So it's important for us to see what he's trying to communicate. Withering grass. We don't have to go far to see that this summer, right? This picture that's on the screen here in a second, yes, is my yard. I had a zone go out in my yard, and so that zone just happened to go out when it was 108 for like 30 straight days. And so that is what the right side of my yard looks like at the moment, still trying to make its way back from that rain. You should have seen it a few weeks ago. So uh, the reality is it's withering grass. It fades away. It burns up. Uh, Reminds me, the other one is the flower that falls. I have a hibiscus. That one's dead too. Uh, It's just the way it is right now around my house. But we got a pot at the end of the driveway with the hibiscus used to be there and that flower is beautiful but it doesn't last long maybe a day or two and it's gone it sounds really depressing but I don't think it's meant to be depressing even what James 4.14 says you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life it's a mist appears for a little while and vanishes away On the surface, it sounds depressing, but that's not what it's meant for. It's meant to inspire us to see the urgency of our time, to see the urgency that we need to take on the time that we're we're given, we're blessed, we're not guaranteed another day. So we need to take advantage of what we have to love like Christ loved So the gospel turns what appears to be sad news, the inevitable deterioration of our body, into the greatest news ever. We have the living and abiding word of God, Jesus Christ. I did not hear one single amen. I know we're not a church that does that often, but right there was your moment. (laughs) I'm gonna give you one more chance. We have the living an abiding word of God. I mean, come on, people. We sit there and we don't even, I mean, it's serious, guys. It's, we have a little bit of time. That's it. It's all we have. What are we going to do with that time? We're going to spend it on things that don't matter? And don't get me wrong, sometimes it sounds like I'm just bashing like family stuff that we do. I love it. I love being in the car with my kids, going to things. I love to be at their games, cheering, cheering them on. Sometimes I get myself in trouble when I do that because I go overboard. All these things are valuable. 
But oftentimes, we just don't make the time for the things that Christ wants us to do. We get to be with him forever because of his blood. So just to wrap it up, a few questions. Do you embrace hope in an eternal father with reverence? Do you understand that the salvation frees you from an obsession with stuff and gives you eternal hope? Are you established in the hope that Jesus has provided through his blood? Do you make it a habit to continually stretch yourself thin in loving others? Does your understanding of eternity allow you to abandon obsessions with the temporary while freeing you to eternal hope found in Jesus? Let's pray. God, we uh, come before you. Sometimes in passages we feel beat up. But Lord, help us not to sit there after maybe getting beat up by a passage and seeing our failures and just give up. Lord, help us to be inspired to get up and move on. And move on in a different way. Move on in a way that thinks of eternity. Move on in a way that inspires us by relationship with you through your son, Jesus, through the power of the spirit. Pray that if there's anybody in this room that has not started that relationship, that they will trust you today, knowing that your blood paid the price for their sin to give them new life. Lord, as we sing and we wrap up this time together, let this time be a time where we focus on things that might need to change. Maybe things that we're doing well that maybe we need to do even better. Lord, convict us, inspire us to go out and live a love that is an example to our community that blows them away. In your name we pray.